are departing this morning and this evening from our series in the morning, the series in Joshua in the evening, the series in Luke, to give special attention to some things related to our dear friend, Brother Cook, Pastor Jack. So it was, it was in my heart several months ago, many months ago, I wanted to have a service where we, we, just, we had the day and we make it about Jesus Christ because that's the one who deserves the glory for any good thing. But that in that, Jesus himself said to give honor to whom honor is due. And I wanted to honor Pastor and Mrs. Cook. I, I may have expressed that to a couple of people just to get it on their radar. But as you know, as, as the Cooks know, he was going through a lot of physical fluctuations at the time. And I, and I was hopeful and just kind of kept the idea in the, the back of my mind. And, and that when things stabilized and settled down and, and they were able to be here with, with consistency, then we would get it done. But it doesn't matter how good your intentions are or how bad you want to be able to do something. We, all, we don't always get to do the things that we, we want to do. And so Brother Cook, thankfully, and we praise God for this, he's able to be at his house with his family. It's a blessing. But Brother Cook is on his way home, and not to his house, but he's on his way home to be with Jesus. And as children of God, we rejoice in that, and we are thankful for that. But I, I had this in my heart last night and this morning, and so I, I text Brother Robert, and I said, hey, is, I understand things are kind of fluctuating and in limbo, but is it, is it possible, is it possible for y'all to watch the service this, this morning and whatever interest in tonight, but especially this morning, because I want to I give some attention to some truth about Pastor Cook that'll be, that's founded in Jesus Christ and it'll be a help to all of us in our lives. And so this is unofficially Jack Cook Day. <laughs> and uh, we're going to look at the Word of God in Psalm 48. The Bible says this, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her places for, excuse me, her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there, and pain as of a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts. In the city of our God, God will establish it forever, Selah. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise. Unto the ends of the earth, thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. 
Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof, mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that ye may tell it to the generations following. And here's the thought in verse 14. For this God, the God whose greatness we have just read about, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. So here's the title. And Pastor Cook, I name this after you. Jack's good guide. He is a good guide. God is a good guide. He's been good to you, Pastor, all the way. He'll be good to you, family, all the way. And he'll be faithful to us, family, all the way. Jack's a good guide. You may be seated. Brother Nate, I can't remember the title of the song. As long as there is God, this is a great song. And it starts off telling the story of the prodigal. But the title, the thought is this, as long as there is God, there is hope.
sure am thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how bad it has gotten, how far you've gone, what tragedies or difficulties or mistakes have been made. There is hope in our Savior. That's why we, that's why we preach. That's why we assemble. And many in this room are testimonies to the fact that there is hope, even through great failure or difficulty. Whether it's your failure or the failure of somewhere, someone else, we serve a God of hope. Mm, that's good. I'm thankful for it. And uh, Brother Nate, sure to appreciate the work. And choir, I appreciate the work. Great job. So well done in communicating that truth this morning. In 1996, there was a famed expedition to Mount Everest, but for all the wrong reasons. Eight people, including two experienced guides named Rob Hall and Andy Harris, died in a summit attempt because of uh, those eight that died and then some more individuals that died later on trying to summit Everest, at least at the time, it became known as the deadliest year for any kind of summit attempts onto or, or up to the, the summit of Mount Everest. And what you, what you learn from something like that and what becomes very obvious is that these men, Rob Hall and Andy Harris, they were not novices. This wasn't their first time to go climb a mountain. This wasn't their first time to be in a harsh environment. This wasn't their first experience with adversity or difficulty. They had some physical challenges, which are not uncommon to that sort of an expedition. There was some sickness that came because of the altitude and the way that your body responds to it. There was some decision-making uh, that came into question. There were some failures with their oxygen supply and all these different things. And, and what you learn through something like this is that no matter how experienced the guide, there is always the potential for failure. Even, even the best guides, and in this case, some of the best guides that were available because of different circumstances, it's possible because of human error, but that's not even the point. You understand you don't need human error to be involved in order for trying to summit Mount Everest to be deadly. It's challenging and difficult and very, very hard. And even the best guides, because of circumstances, can fail. Like summiting or attempting to summit Mount Everest, living life is fraught with danger and difficulty. It is filled with ups and downs. It's filled with sorrow. And it's possible that there are contributing factors like human error, but even without our own area, in an individual's life, you most, most certainly are going to experience unexpected difficulties. You are going to experience sorrow. You are going to come to places in the effort to live out your life to the fullest the way God wants you to. If you, if you can imagine your life being a summit and trying to live out 
the summit of your life, you are going to encounter difficulties and trials that you never would have chosen for yourself, sorrows and sadnesses that you would have done everything you could to avoid. And, and you understand this, that through this difficulty and through these challenges that come to our life, we are in need of guidance. But even the best guides fail except for one I love Psalm 48, how it, it, it references God in the beginning. Great is the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. And, and he begins to paint this picture of how God has taken his people and he has established them. He has built them. He has elevated them. He has prospered them. He has showered them with blessing. He has given them comfort. He has given them all of these amazing things that they benefit from. In the psalm, he talks about how God defends his people and he causes terror. He brings terror to the hearts of those who would attack his people. He loves his people and desires to provide for them and blesses them and will always do. He'll always do what is best for them. And you got to make sure to make the distinction between what is best for us and what we want those are not always the same thing, but God will always do what is best. And so he makes all of these claims in this passage, and he builds this case for this great God. And then in verse number 14, he points back to what he has just said about God, and he says, this God. We're not talking about one of the many ideas or idols or human personalities that have been worshipped throughout history, whether it be Muhammad or Buddha or Mary as she is misrepresented from what scripture says, we're talking about the only true and living God as declared in the Bible. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Isaiah says, seek ye the Lord, turn unto him, for I am God, and there is none else. There is only one. God, and he is a God that is capable of doing great things on behalf of his people. And in this text, it's as though the psalmist is saying, look at the amazing work this God has done. And then he begins to make it personal. This God, notice the next few words, is our God. There is a major difference between knowing about someone and having a relationship with them. If you were to ask me, do I know who the president is, I would say, yes, it's Mr. Biden. I know a little bit about him. But if you were to ask me, do I know who the president is, or do I have a, excuse me, do I have a relationship with him, do I know him, well, the answer is no, I don't know him. I couldn't saunter up to the back driveway of the White House. I don't know that there is one. Just, if someone's your friend, you just go to the back porch and walk in. Sometimes. <laughs> I, don't, I would just walk up to the back entrance of the White House and say, hey, what's up, Joe? Number one, you don't refer to any president, whether you agree with them or not, you don't refer to any president like that. You show them respect. But number two, I don't know him. I know of him, but I don't have a personal relationship with him. There are many who think the fact that they have this idea of God is sufficient. 
There are many even who sit in churches or who watch a live stream. They think that just because I believe that there is some idea out there called God or I believe that there is a God or I actually believe that there is a Jesus, that that's enough. It's enough just to know about him. Well, the Bible confronts that false idea when it says in James, the devils believe and tremble. It's not enough to simply believe that he exists. We are in need of a personal relationship with him one that this author had. He possessed it. It wasn't just the idea that there is a God who has blessed us and we're thankful for his existence, but it's the idea that this God who has blessed us and given us so much, this God is our God. We know him personally. We have entered into a relationship with him. We believe that he loves us. We believe that he cares for us. And by faith, we are trusting in him and we are basing our eternal existence upon his love for us. This God is our God. Now, Pastor Cook has a lot of wonderful characteristics about him. There are many things that I could begin to articulate and describe even in my limited knowledge of him. And his family, whether it be Teddy or Sylvia or Robert or John or his dear wife Peggy or their many grandchildren and extended family, whoever it is, they could begin to describe to you in greater detail some of the wonderful characteristics that make him so loved by so many that have allowed him to have so much influence into the lives of so many. They could highlight many of these wonderful attributes about him. But this is the greatest characteristic of Jack Cook's life. This God is his God. See, Jack Cook has spent years ministering the word. But it's been so effective, not because he was ministering about someone that he knows some stuff about. He's ministering the word of God from the perspective of someone who walks with God, someone who knows him, someone who understood when he was a young man that he needed a savior and that he was a sinner and that being in the military wasn't enough to save you, that doing good works wasn't enough to save you, that you had to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so he called on the Lord at whatever point that was in his life and he trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then he began to raise his family and live his life to know God. And it's obvious in so many ways from early on to this point in his life that he doesn't just know about God, he knows God. It's not enough just to come to a church and sit through a sermon. It's not enough to simply be able to give some Bible truth. It's not enough to know the vernacular. You need to know him. I'm thankful for all of the positions that we take as a church. I'm thankful for right biblical doctrine. I'm thankful for principles that protect us and that help us be effective in influencing and loving people. I'm thankful for every bit of the lines that we draw, but understand there is no line, there is no standard, there is no principle that you can stand on that will ever replace a personal relationship with God. Going to a church like this isn't enough. Using a particular Bible version isn't enough. Wearing a suit and having all the right positions that people say are valuable isn't enough. You need to know Jesus for yourself. You gotta know him. He's gotta be your God. And you don't get him by going through religious rituals. You get him because you accept him. 
by faith. Just like Paul said to the Philippian jailer when he cried out, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This God, he must be your God. But notice what happens. And this isn't something that we do. It's something that is done for us. This God will be our guide. This God is our God forever and ever. By the way, I should have mentioned this a minute ago. I'll come back to the guide part. Salvation is eternal. It's eternal life. He doesn't take it. He doesn't play games with it. Once he makes you his child, you're saved and you are safe all the way through. You believe the Bible. If your faith is in the Jesus of this wonderful book, then you are a child of God. And though death is certain, and though death is difficult, and though death brings sorrow because it is our enemy, that he will be your guide forever and ever. He is our God all the way through. But then he guides us. Now a guide is someone who knows where to go and how to get there. Um... One of the guides that I depend the most on is the guide Siri. You know what I get frustrated with about Siri? When I yell at her, it doesn't affect her at all. She just keeps saying, recalculating, recalculating. You're so stupid. There are tour guides. You go take a trip to a region you're not familiar with and jump on a bus with a camera and a bunch of other people and... Look at this, look at this, tour guides. There's hunting guides. Yeah, you come on with me, I'm going to get you a big one. Fishing guides. I imagine there are shopping guides, probably. Some of you ladies are like, duh, yeah. I am one. And there are some ladies, you know where the best spots are. It's like you have this innate sense that alarms go off when there's a sale. And, it, and it's like, man, look at how much money I saved. Look at how much money you spent on sale. <laughs> A famous guide in the history of our nation, Sacagawea. She was born, now I'm going to mispronounce this word. I've asked people here, and I checked YouTube and Google because they're very trustworthy. <laughs> and they both say it differently. And then I asked some of you people, and you all say it differently. So, Shoshone, Shoshone, I'm just calling it Shosho. <laughs> Since y'all can't agree on how to pronounce it, and like 18 of you are going to come up to me later or text me like, Pastor, this is how you pronounce it. I'm telling you, you're all telling me how to say it differently. The internet's telling me conflicting ways. I don't want to hear about it. Shosho for short. I'm, thank you, Brother Vibe, for letting me. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just telling you, I really tried to figure it out, and I can't figure it out. So along with her husband, she served as a help and a guide, Sacagawea, to the expedition of Lewis and Clark. She was born into the Shoshone or Shoshone tribe near Salmon, Idaho. She provided help in multiple ways. In one instance, she directed them to what is now known as Gibbons Pass. In another, she advised them to cross through Bozeman Pass. 
And historically, when you look back on the Lewis and Clark expedition, it is stated that it is successful. And one of the major reasons it was successful is because of the guidance of a young native woman named Sacagawea. She was a help in understanding different regions, where to go, how to interact with other Native American peoples. She understood, and this is, what, this is what you need to get. She had the ability to guide. She had the ability to understand. She had the ability to navigate, whether it be uh, social interactions or hostile environments or difficult terrain. Because of her experience, because of her knowledge, she had the guidance. But that's not what's most impressive. What's most impressive is that Lewis and Clark, as successful as they were, as explorers, as men, and in all of the efforts that they had put, they recognized their limitation, and they recognized their need for a guide outside of themselves. And when many men would have let ego get in their way, they understood we aren't properly equipped with the level of knowledge that we need in order to get through these in order to get through these areas, in order to navigate these passes, in order to interact with these people in a peaceful way. We don't have that ability. We need someone who can guide us through it. And so they humbled themselves, and because they were willing to admit their limitation, they benefited from the guidance of this very intelligent and capable woman that is remembered properly and rightly so as someone very valuable to the history of this nation. They benefited from her because they recognized we need a guide. It's amazing how many people live this life as though they need no guide. You say, well, I got it. Here's the problem with your evaluation of yourself. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. We are prone to be depressed. We are prone to be discouraged. We are prone to be angry. We are prone to give up. We are prone to throw in the towel. We are prone to all sorts of extremes. But there is one through the difficulties of emotional fluctuations. There is one through the difficulties of relational fractures or fluctuations. There is one that who through the difficulties of sickness or great health financial success or failure, the difficulty of navigating an uncertain job market, there is one who can guide us through all of those fluctuations, the ups and the downs of parentings, the effort to understand myself and to overcome habits and establish the right kind of habits. There is a guide who is more than capable, and he's capable because he's the God who created this life, and it doesn't matter what you're going through, God is a capable guide, but he's not just a capable, capable guide, he's the capable guide. But here's the thing, Sacagawea did not force her guidance on these men. She gave it, and they received it. God does not force himself on any woman or on any man. He offers it, and you can say no, or you can receive it. In order for God to be your guide, there must be a choice to humble yourself and follow him. That starts with salvation. Not something that you do, it's something that you receive. 
We don't get saved because we go to church. We don't get saved because our dad or our, pa- or our grandfather was a pastor or a good man. We get saved because we understand I'm a sinner and I need to know Jesus Christ and we put our faith in him. It's something that he gives to us. I'm thankful that God offers salvation to anyone, but he does not force it on anyone. He's willing to give it to any person that's willing to receive it. Whether you're a young man or lady or an old man or lady, it doesn't matter where you're at in the social spectrum. If you recognize I am in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ will be that. He'll give it to you. But it doesn't stop with believing in him for salvation. There is a need that we submit. Okay, keep the analogy of Sacagawea and her guiding Lewis and Clark. The first step was to recognize she is what we need. We need that guidance. And so you begin to put yourself under that authority and you begin to follow her. What if we go that way? No, you don't need to go that way. You need to go this way. Well, what if we offer them this gift? No, that, that's not going to be appreciated. You need to offer them this gift instead. Well, what if we go this route? No, that's not the best route. Let's go this way. They had to recognize they needed her, but then they had to, con- excuse me, they had to continually be in submission to the guidance. Here's the danger. Number one, we think that for the sake of life, that as long as we just believe in Jesus, then he's just going to make everything good and give us whatever we want. Now look, don't misunderstand. You do not do anything in order to get saved. Stay with me. We're almost there. You do nothing to get saved. You do nothing to stay saved. We don't lose our salvation if we sin after we get saved because guess what? You're going to sin after you get saved. That's why the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. It's not, it's not about doing something to earn it. It's not about doing something to keep it. But in order to benefit from God's guidance in your life, it's not just a willingness to accept and receive a relationship with him by faith. There is a necessity to then submit your life to his guidance. Here's the truth about Jesus, that once he has a relationship with you, his intention is to change the direction and the trajectory of your life. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And regardless of what happens in your life, you are going to spend eternity with him. But what happens in between the moment you got saved and the moment you die, that is up to you in many ways. And how you live out that life is up to you. And you can live it in one of two ways. You can live it in this way that says, God, thank you for saving me. I'm thankful I'm saved. I'm going to go to church occasionally and, you know, I'll try to do some things to keep you on my radar. But I'm pretty much just going to continue living my life the way I want to, how I want to, when I want to. You're still saved, but you're not submitting to his guidance. But then there is this recognition that says, I I don't only need you as my God, my Savior, I need your daily guidance in my life. I need to understand what your word says about the attitude I should have. I need to understand what your word says about the kind of habits I should have. I need to understand what your word says about the kind of friend and the kind of neighbor and the kind of coworker I ought to be. I need to understand what your word says about how my marriage should operate. I need to understand what your word says about how I should be raising my children. I need to understand your truth and its implication in my life. 
I need to recognize my need for your guidance. And then I need to submit to you. Because here's the truth. God's going to tell us to go in directions sometimes that we don't want to go. Say, what do you mean? There'll be times when God says this. Don't be angry. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay. But you want to repay, don't you? There are going to be times when God says to be kind. There will be times when God says to be kind and forgive. I don't want to do that. There will be times when God says to rejoice and to have hope. You're like, I'm sitting here watching my loved ones suffer. But by faith, I'm going to submit to you and rejoice. There are going to be times when God says, you don't need that in your life. You don't need that habit. I understand it may make you feel good, but that's not what you need. That's not making you the best kind of man or woman you could be. You need to lay that aside with my help. And you need to begin to implement some other things in your life. For God to be your guide, there must be a choice to submit to him. And when, he does, when you do, there's a commitment to his people that he will be faithful even unto death. And then we see that there's a conclusion. Every journey comes to an end. And there is a point when a guide's services are over, when the final destination is reached. And this, those services are no longer necessary. I'm thankful for this, Pastor Cook. I'm thankful for this, Miss Peggy. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said this in John 14, you know it well. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. I understand you're getting close to the end of your journey, but the next chapter is amazing. Because the guide that you have trusted by faith will no longer be your guide by faith. You'll see your Savior with your own eyes. And to everyone else who you anticipate, in your estimation, you think, I've got plenty of time to decide where I land on this. Number one, there is no time guaranteed to any of us. Number two, be certain that no matter how good your life is at this moment, no matter how strong you feel at this moment, death comes to us all. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, when your journey on this earth is concluded, you will be safe with him. But where will you go? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Here is the statement. God is a faithful guide who always gets his people home. Can I say it this way? God is a faithful guide who will safely get my friend home. To Robert and 
John, Teddy, and Sylvia, to the grandkids I was privileged to meet, to the favorite ones and the not favorite ones, to the ones whose names I know and the ones whose names I do not know. God has been a good guide to Jack Cook. And he won't fail him now. But for you that remain, for us that God continues to give life to, who are we following? You say, well, pastor, I'm in church. Pastor, I'm tuned into a service through a live stream. It's amazing how many people can sit in a service and watch a religious live stream and then it's obvious they live their life as though there is no guidance from God. So who's the, here's the question again. Who are you following? No, no. It's obvious. I'm not saying it's obvious to me because I don't know everything and it's, everything is not my business and every detail of your life is not my business. But it's obvious to God who you're following. Your life bears it out in the decisions you make. And God is, not, God is not only interested in whether or not you prioritize coming to church on a consistent basis, although that is important. God is also interested in the kind of husband you are on a Monday, in the kind of wife that you are during the week. God is interested in how you respond to your children when they do something that gets on your nerves. God is interested in how you handle a difficult situation at work. God is interested in the habits that you have when no one else, whether it be your friend or your spouse, is watching. God is aware of all of those things. And, he, and, and the question needs to be asked and it needs to be answered honestly. Whose guidance are you following in your life? Number one, are you saved? Have you trusted him? Again, the response, it would be so easy for the response to be, look, I know about Jesus. I'm obviously in church. I'm obviously listening. So yes, I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven when I die, or at least that's what I hope is going to happen. You can know for sure based on what the word of God says, but you have to be willing to believe in him and what he says about you as his word indicates. Believe that you're a sinner and he's the only savior and you trust in him. It's not that you come to a church. It's not that you get baptized. It's not that you say a prayer. You believe in him for who he is and he'll save you. Number two, are you following him? This is what we know. The journey is unpredictable. Yep. The journey is hard sometimes but God is a faithful guide every step of the way and even when like Psalm 23 says yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death we always walk through it because he's our guide so who are you following What does your time in the word of God say about who you're following? What do you mean by that? If people could monitor my Bible reading, would they know whether or not I'm following God? What does what I'm looking at on these screens 
say about who I'm following. If people could see it, would they know that I'm following him or that I'm not? If people could see every attitude that I, that I have in my spirit, every response that I have in my heart, who would it be obvious that I am following? I'm simply asking you this morning, are you saved? And if you are, who are you following? Brother Cook has given testimony to this many times. God is a good guide. And Brother Cook, through a life of faithfulness, has shown us how to follow that guide all the way to the end. He's a good guide. He's a good God. So who are you following? Let's all stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Whether watching on the live stream or sitting here in this room together, let me ask you a couple of questions. The piano will begin to play in just a moment. First question is this. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Please respect the privacy of others. With every head bowed and every eye closed, first question is this. Do you know for sure that when you die, you will go to heaven? Because you have trust that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. I'm not asking you whether or not you're religious. I'm not asking you whether or not you've had an experience. I'm asking you if you have made the conscious, intellectual, and sincere decision, the spiritual decision to acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I know that when I die, I am going to spend eternity in heaven. If you can say, I know that, I am sure I'm saved. And I am thankful for it. Would you raise your hand in testimony to that? You can put your hands down. Let me ask it this way. What if you don't know it? What if you're depending on something else? Nobody looking around. I wonder if there would be someone, whether at home or here, and you just before God, I'm not going to do anything weird or embarrass you. I just want to pray in a general way for you. You say, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I want to be. Would you pray for me? Would you raise up your hand? Just put it up and then back down. I, God bless you. I see. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for raising it. Those of you that raised your hand, if, if you'll allow, Jesus Christ will give you certainty of that. We have people that would be happy to pray for you if you desire that. If you come forward and want someone to pray with you, talk to you, we'd be happy to do that. Now, for those of you who are saved, again, every head bowed, every eye closed, please. You would say, I know that I'm saved. I know that I've trusted in him, but there are areas where I know I'm not following him. I've let some things in, and I am rejecting, I am resisting his guidance in certain areas, and I need his help. I need him to help me get back in submission to his guidance. I need him to help me get back on track. Would you pray for me? I wonder if there'd be some that would say that. I need it. I need it. Yep. Yeah. We all, just about every one of us could raise our hands to that in some way. Can I say one more thing to parents? Don't expect your children to follow a guide that you yourself are not following. You say, man, I want my kids to follow Christ. I want my kids to follow the Lord. Don't Moms and dads, don't make the mistake of thinking they'll just figure it out on their own. I'm so thankful for the testimony of Pastor and Mrs. Cook. It wasn't just what he said. 
It's what he's lived. Moms and dads, you need to live it. While Brother Nate begins to sing, if God has spoken to your heart, you respond to him. You respond to the Lord in prayer if God has dealt with you this morning. Father, thank you that you are a good God and a good guide, and you're faithful every step of the way. And Lord, we thank you for examples, human examples, that we can be inspired and encouraged by. And we have such an example in in Jack and Peggy Cook, and we pray for your blessing on their family in these moments and in these days, and that your presence would be very near to them. But Lord, we we desire more than just a sentiment. I, I don't... I don't make these references to Pastor Cook simply to feel good or to help someone else feel good. God, I want more than sentiment and emotion. I want my life to be. And so I pray that you would help each of us as you've given us life. I pray that you would help us to be, help us to walk with you. God, help us to know you. And then, Lord, we trust that you will be a faithful guide as we submit to you. And you'll not lead us astray. There will be difficulties. There will be challenges. There will be uncertainties at times. But, God, you will be a good guide. And so I thank you for your commitment to the welfare of your people and your faithfulness. And pray that you would help us to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, look forward to being back in church tonight, guest, as it's already been stated so well by Brother Max. Thank you for being with us. We are glad you are here and thankful, thankful, thankful for the Lord's goodness to us. Brother Nate will lead us in a dismissal song, and then we'll look forward to seeing you tonight at 5 o'clock.